Welcome to Lemmy Works, brought to you by Leadership Education Mentoring Institute. We are inspiring parents, mentors, and communities as they embark on the journey of transformational project-based education. Hi, this is Tatiana Fallon. Hi, this is Heidi Christensen. We're so excited to be your hosts. Hi, everyone. We are so excited today. We have Nicolene Peck from Teaching Self-Government with us today. Welcome, Nicolene. Thank you, Heidi. I'm so happy to be here. I love Lemmy, and I was so happy to get the invitation. Oh, yeah. We are so excited that you're here. I know. Um, I, I didn't, when I first met you, I didn't even know that you were originally part of Lemmy years ago, that you were a Lemmy trainer and the whole thing. I know we read, we met in the most roundabout way, right? It was the funniest yeah. thing because we were swimming in all the same circles and though, and we knew all the same people, but we'd never met each other. And suddenly it's like, I meet your son and we have this situation and then boom. Oh, well, yeah. Me and Heidi, now we know each other. And it's like, <laughs> we're all on the same page about everything. It was great. Yeah. It was, it's just awesome. Awesome. I love it. And you've known Tati for a long time. Oh, yes, because who doesn't love the Milnes? I love the whole family, like the whole bunch. Mama on down. Maybe I should say daddy on down because he's awesome, too. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah we, had to, we, we had to read the we had to read the books and all the things. And we're like, yes, we love the Milnes. And really, um, Anility was a great mentor to me in, in so many different ways and capacities. And I know she has turned around and used that back at me like hey you know but I think we've kind of mentored each other through the years that's awesome yeah. well well let, let's go back I mean how did you start homeschooling I mean what made you decide to do that was it something you always wanted to do oh that is a fun story that I don't usually get to tell yeah so um a lot of people know me as homeschooling, but they don't know why in the world I did it. So there was this lady, she lived by me and her name was Angie Baker, Angela Baker. And she, I start, I got to know her as I was building the house that we live in and, you know, just kind of getting to know her family. She's like, I'm doing this weird thing. I'm going to homeschool my children. And I'm like, huh, that is kind of unusual, you know? And then I, well, while we're building the house, so I'm kind of watching her going, I don't know what I think about that, but she's a great person, but I don't know what I think about that. So while we're building the house, I'm living in another community about 20 minutes down the road and I'm living at my mom's house because she just moved somewhere and I was living in her basement while we're building this house for like four months. And then her neighbor that moved in across the street from her, her name was Candace Winters and Candace Winters was like, Oh, we homeschool our children. I'm like, I'm getting inundated here. Like what is going anyway? And so then I go to her and I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you something really weird, but like, what about the social, you know? And she she says to me, so I was one of those people, you guys, I asked the one about the social, you know, and then she's like, well, actually, that's very interesting, Nicolene, because we've thought a real lot about social and what really makes good social development for the children. And we're actually not sure if what is happening socially at the schools is proper social development for the children. If you would like to talk to us more about that, you can. And I was like, she just got my wheels turning. I was like, wait a minute. I just threw that. What about the social? But she just threw that on its head. And now I have to chew on it. And what am I going to do? So I started chewing on it. And then I had a neighbor once I moved into the house who said to me, I think I'm going to homeschool my children. And I read this book about Charlotte Mason and blah, blah. So anyway, she shares the book with me. She doesn't end up homeschooling. But at that point, I'm going to my first homeschool conference. I'm totally in. And guess who the keynote speaker is? Oliver DeMille. Because the, the, the first keynote speaker apparently was a gal from California. She got struck by lightning. 
crazy. I know. I, I don't want, I'm not saying she did anything wrong. I'm sure she was wonderful. It's just the freakiest thing. And so last minute they're like, uh, Oliver DeMille, will you be the keynote? And so he's the keynote. So the first speaker I ever hear at any conference ever is him. And he's talking about conveyor belt education and all this kind of stuff. And so then when I go to these classes about Charlotte Mason and by Reed Benson and all these different people that are like great homeschoolers, I'm comparing it all and I'm looking at all through this lens of this leadership education that I just got introduced in the keynote. And I was in, I'm like, I'm in <laughs> anyway. And so I started, I started homeschooling because people kept introducing it to me. Um, one thing that happened at that first conference though, was that my children, so my oldest two, especially were really early readers. And at that first conference, I went to a class by Lynn Hansen and, and she does the Hansen reading method, which is incredible actually. And she did this class called, I can teach a child to read in 40 minutes. And so can you. And I was like, I gotta see this because my son Quinn, I felt like was so close to reading and he was just a little guy, like three years old. Right. But he was like, he was right on the cusp of it. And and so I went to this, I watched her take a non-reading child and he was a reading child by the end of the 40 minutes. Then she did another class and explained how she did it all. I went home, like I bought her charts and stuff. I went home and I did it in 40 minutes. And I was like, I can't send him to school. I just can't. And then, and then later we decided to do therapeutic treatment care. So for troubled teens, we did foster care. And then I really saw what was happening at the school. And I was like, that's it. Um, I I'm fully convicted on my, on my choice here because I saw the social, I saw the drama. I saw the type of children that were there that you can't ever tell anyone else about, you know, not that there was anything wrong with the foster children. I had no problem with that, but you have to keep confidentiality in that field. And there's a lot of stuff that your children could have be getting exposed to. And you have absolutely no idea. So I will say probably social was that and my children being so academic, academically inclined. And the fact that I could read the first, teach the first one to read in 40 minutes. I'm like, I think I could homeschool. All right, I'm doing it now. So then I was all, that's how it happened. Oh, that's awesome. I haven't ever heard that story before. Yeah, that's well, that is really cool. It took a that's lot of really people cool. to plant a lot of little seeds in me, but they got my wheels turning and I'm a, I'm a questioner. I'm a thinker. I'm a, and once somebody asked me the right question, I'm like, whoa, okay. Now I, now there's no going back. So questions are powerful things. They are, they are. And it's really, you know, sometimes you have to just get them all over and it's like, okay, I, I'm listening. <laughs> That's true. It's it, maybe that's it. It took a bit to knock me over the head, but clearly <laughs> there was a direction I was heading. And I always tell people it's the best choice I ever made. So that I can say unequivocally, it is the best choice I ever made besides the guy that I chose to marry, who's been completely supportive. Um, after he asked what about the social and, you know, are they going to go to prom? And then, then he was okay. It's so funny that the prom thing always comes up. I know, isn't it? It's like, really, was it that great? Because like, actually, I don't know if it was. Well, I think the prom thing actually stems from the worry of like, how will they meet a spouse? And mm -hmm. I was actually listening to, um, <clears throat> I think it was Jordan Peterson, when he was talking to Jeff, I can't remember his last name, but he's the guy that started the Acton Academy. But he said that basically what people are paying for when they go to college is a spouse or the opportunity to meet a spouse so you could be like a hundred thousand dollars in debt with a, a subpar education but you met your spouse so like it might have been worth it for you and so I think yeah. there is that worry that people have is like well if they don't get exposed to enough people of you know of marriageable I guess you know count then they won't get married and then they won't have life you know like but the problem is I think that just doesn't really apply because very few people do that in high school anyways. <laughs> so like, it's not really. Well, yeah. It's pretty odd to find the one in high school. Yeah. yeah. So then, and then the other thing I was actually just reading about Mortimer Adler and he was talking about in his book, the great conversation about um, how education has really, when Dewey set it up, 
it was it's a great critique on public education written in eight in uh, 1950 so i mean it was public education wasn't even around that long it hadn't had like a, as long as it has now to corrupt completely but he basically is saying is like what Dewey did when he took the emphasis out of like the liberal arts and the actual like the you know you know, the one room schoolhouse which was focused on you know the even the classical model of you know the trivian he's like what Dewey did is he completely got rid of the education aspect of schools because you can't educate people towards a career. It's not possible. It doesn't happen. And so he says, basically, he created the largest social experiment in the history of humanity. And it's compulsory. It's a compulsory social experiment. And he's like, and he's doing a way worse job than what the churches, the Boy Scout clubs and the sports teams were doing originally with um, social organizations so it's like so now we just have a ridiculous massively taxpayer funded social organization and i was like this is crazy like that's basically what we have in public schools at least according to mortimer adler and it's like and you're paying for it i was like holy cow maybe that's yeah maybe that's why everybody asks you what about their social because if you really think that's what it is it's just one massive social Well, and people recognize that that's the focus, you know, when they're in it, they don't say that when they're teens, they're screaming for it though. But what about my friends, mom? And I can't wait to go back to school because of my friends and everything's my friends, my friends, my my friends, and I don't have a friend and I need a friend and my friends mean to me and my friend and everything is all about that. But you know what I always tell people? So when it comes to social, I don't know if this is where you guys are going or not, but like, I, this is one thing I always tell people, because there's a class I teach called um, five social lessons that every child must know. And that's uh, on my website, teachingselfgovernment.com. But in there, I always say, okay, so there's three ways that we can learn social. We can either learn it from our families, like from our parents, okay, or we can learn it from same age peers, or we can learn it from the media. Those are our only three choices. Now, if you look at your children and you say, those are my three choices, what one do you pick? Hello. And so then, and so then people are like, well, but what about the friends then? And I say, okay, so what are the friends for? Let's think about that. Because the friends that are same age peers or even close in age peers, they don't have the life experience or the wisdom to teach the social to our our children. That's a no brainer, right? So what are they for? They are for practice. They are to practice our social, right? That's why we have social activities with other people is for practice. And we can see what other people are doing with their social skills and that it inspires us. And don't underestimate the power of that social because the social is actually massively powerful. So if you've read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about, you know, that practical intelligence versus the intellectual intelligence, right? And that practical intelligence, that's your social intelligence. Why do I do well when I'm working with legislators and at the United Nations and stuff like that? Because I have good practical intelligence. I know how to stay calm. I don't get riled up. I know how to talk to people, how to look them in the eyes, how to ask them to do something, how to say, okay, let's recap what you're saying there to make sure I got you, right? Those are, those are practical intelligence skills that are actually formed within the family unit. They can be formed in a school unit, but it's too chaotic. And so really the practical intelligence gets formed from the hard work and in the family dynamic. But what um, the assumption is, is that practical intelligence is going to be gained at school, but we're losing more and more access to, for children to have practical intelligence nowadays because of the digital age that we're in. So once they go into digital, even when they're in social settings with other people, they're not practicing. And then they for sure aren't going to develop that practical intelligence that, um, Malcolm Gladwell talked about. So there you go. I think that's interesting, though, because that's kind of where the Commonwealth does play, I think, a crucial role in 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 a child's education. And in my opinion, this is just my opinion, but because I think there needs to be that practice with peers to be that self-reflection at some point. Right. And so I think like that's why I really like the model of just one day a week gathering with your peers and in a place where you have mentors and you're trying to do something. And so the growth, I think for me, I I just, I know like me at 12 versus me at 14 after two years of Shakespeare was a completely different person and way more capable of, of actually, you know, going and actually, I did lobby at the legislature at 14, you know, but like I could do that 
because of the, the practice that I got with my peers. Cause I had, you know, I've obviously been modeled at home. I, my parents are really, really good at that, but the opportunity to like do it in a class and really mess up in a simulation and then be like, Oh, that didn't go well. <laughs> like, and then have the opportunity to do again and do it better. I think that's one of the things I really love about the Commonwealth model is you still have a lot of parental guidance, but also have the opportunity to practice it with your peers. Oh yeah. So I have thoughts about that. We're not giving Heidi a word in edgewise. Sorry, Heidi. (laughs) I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Tati goes off. We call them Tati's tangents because, you know, (laughs) I love it, but I just wanted to add a little thought onto the end of that because I loved it because you're because actually because you you have to bring up that. But wait a minute, then why do we need the Commonwealths? You're absolutely right. They do serve a massive purpose. And I loved being part of a Commonwealth for our family. One thing that I always told so um, people might not know, I taught Shakespeare Conquest five times. I did the five pillar tutorial and, you know, helped with that with a whole group for a couple of years, which was a lot of fun anyway. But what I always told people, especially the, the youth doing the Shakespeare Conquest was you have to have a voice, right? It's so important to have a voice. And so you have to have places where you practice having a voice, right? Where it's that kind of safe environment to have a voice where you can, you can say something, you know, and practice uh, some of your rhetorical skills and things, right? But then go, actually, I'm going to change my mind on that. And that's okay because I was in this, this place where it was a safe place to have that type of a, an experience. And if you can stand on a stage, I would tell them, if you can stand on a stage and pretend to be another person and get in that person's head, then you can stand in front of another person and think, what is this other person thinking? And what do I need to tell them? It's really just a next step in the progression. So getting that voice is so powerful. And that's what I always told them. And they seem to really get that like, oh, I'm getting more out of this than just a theater experience, you know, because it is like you said, Tatiana, you were a different person two years later. And I think the majority of children are that Shakespeare conquest class is really, really foundational. Love it. It's funny. I, when I first started homeschooling, I had four little boys and I, one of, it's kind of embarrassing to think about now, but I was really concerned that they would never learn how to flirt. And Shakespeare taught them how to flirt. (laughs) Shakespeare and Angela Creel. I mean, because Angela taught them, you know, in, in Shakespeare and she was like, okay, this is how you treat a woman. This is how, you know, this is what she would do. And I, it was, it was so awesome. I mean, she also tried to teach one of my sons how to act like a drunk and burp. (laughs) That didn't work, but I mean, he, he did play the drunkard, but he couldn't burp. I don't know if he still, you know, I can't burp on command. I don't think everyone can do that. I used to try back in the teenage years. I don't think that's a a thing everyone's capable of. I'm just going to say it's not my skill. It's not my talent. It it, it definitely wasn't (laughs) a skill he could learn. (laughs) I'd have to make like just a little sound like, but you know, like I I can't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I was just very grateful that they did learn that, that skill. I mean, it was a safe space to learn how to interact with the opposite sex. And, you know, I was very grateful for that. I did, I just had to trust, you know, back when they were five, that they would learn that. Um, And it it was there. I did have to do a little pre-teaching to my Shakespeare group. I'm just going to go straight in here and say, listen, we're breaking down a lot of boundaries here. And so um, just remember that once we're off the stage, the boundaries still exist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we had, uh, we had, we had a couple, we had, well, one in particular where there there was a boundary line that just went a little too far off stage and I had to have a discussion with somebody I'm like eh, we're we're done with that so the pre-teaching that's a good teaching self-government thing make sure you pre-teach all your classes about all the boundaries the no answers and stuff it's helpful 
I also think it's, um, I don't know, one of the beautiful things when you're talking about Shakespeare that came to my mind is you said you have the opportunity to play someone on stage and then you get to decide what you're going to do with that. And so I started thinking about the characters that I got to play in Shakespeare and how they helped me develop my character. Um, and I got to play Jacques, which is like the philosophical or Jacques, however you want to say it, as you like it. And um, I played, we, we put it in 1930s gangster America. And so I chose to play it as a boy. They gave me options, but I was like, well, it's a boy. I'll play it as a boy. And it was really helpful for me because I'm kind of more of a tomboy. Like you, I, I guess you'd say I'm a tomboy. Um, I have a lot more masculine energy, I guess. And when I got to play that role and just totally just be whatever I wanted to be with that boy, like a gangster in <laughs> the 1930s and paint on a mustache and pick up a Brooklyn accent, it was really liberating for me to be then you know be me like just be Tati but be okay with the fact that yeah I don't need to always be the most feminine of women and it was extremely liberating for me because I it, it made me feel more comfortable and just like I'm totally okay with me being who I am and not needing to be or fit in with all these other girls and I think it really for me was one of the probably most looking back now that you just, I got to decide if I was going to be comfortable with just being me through being at the opportunity to like pretend to be someone else and um and I think it had to be Shakespeare though because at the same time because you can do lots of acting classes but like I also got to be me who says like the most famous line in Shakespeare right like all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players and and so as I was spending because memorization was not easy for me spending hours just trying to memorize this stupid monologue it really was so powerful for me to just learn about Shakespeare's philosophy it's like there's phases in your life and you at different times will be asked to, to act different things and be called upon to fulfill different roles and you'll shift and you change through those roles and you know it really cemented into my mind that I had choice and I could choose and it was okay to for me to choose to be me and I think if more youth could do that they wouldn't be so worried about what everybody else is thinking about them and constantly worried about the peers and all those things because looking back at my I think my success as a youth really came down to the fact like I didn't really care what anybody else thought about me <laughs> you know? and I think that's because I had Shakespeare I don't know if you've seen that with your yeah. students well, well, I mean, it definitely builds confidence, right? Just the memorization builds confidence. Stepping out of the comfort zone builds confidence. And interacting with the other characters builds confidence. But to me, the whole thing just screams the word deliberate, okay? So Shakespeare is a deliberate writer, okay? He, he was a deliberate playwright. He did not... Um, he made sure that if there was a truth in there, he was going to tell you what it was. Okay. And so it was very, um, I want to almost say sermon like, right. So it's like he would give these little sermons and that's what you're talking about with all the world's stage. That monologue is a sermon on the phases of life, the cycle of life and who you are and how you can accept it. Right. And it's okay. And to say that in a society nowadays where everybody's like, I got to get plastic surgery and I can't have a wrinkle and I can't have it, whatever. And now I'm going to not feel safe or okay with, you know, who I am and, 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 you know, and I'm going to change that every five minutes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, people are very uneasy about themselves because they're not deliberate, but when you deliberately act somebody else who says deliberate truths it's in there it's it's the history it's the message right and and he says it in such a plain way sometimes in comedy sometimes in sorrow but in this just plain and simple this is the truth you know and that's ultimately what the the hero always comes down to but what's the truth right and the truth always wins out in a shakespeare story and so then when you go back to regular life you can't not see the truth around you now and you have to see the truth about yourself and you have to decide who am i right and and am i okay with who i am and can i be okay with who i am and he shows you with all of his different characters that they all own it whether they're a bad one or a good one, they own it. And I think a lot of people in real life, to be very honest with you, don't fully own who they are. 
Yeah. And then also think like just looking back on that 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 line where because I remember there would be moments where like, you know, when I was in this the the phase of the school the school or like, you know, in high school and junior high. And there's a line where he says, and then here's the the young schoolboy with satchel and and shining morning face creeping like snail unwillingly to school and it's like there's so many times in school where you have to do things that you really really don't want to do right so it's like that's the phase I'm in I'm gonna do these things even though I really really don't want to do and then the next line he says where it's like and then the lover making um a ballard to his mistress's eyebrow there's times when you're in that courtship phase uh, where you feel silly and you and you you like have this infatuation with the person and there's like weird things about it and i think it's liberating to be like yeah it's okay like i'm in the courtship courtship phase of life and there's silly things about that happen when you do that like and that's okay the innocence of that silliness um so i think that i really love how you said that like it's deliberate truth that you get to memorize and experience and when you do Shakespeare and then you get to go on and see it as it plays out in your life. And it's, it's just such a beautiful aspect. I think is is so powerful that grateful we have that for our kids. Yeah, me too. You know, there's people criticize Shakespeare so much. I speak at so many conferences, you know, homeschool conferences and things all over the world. And people will criticize Shakespeare, even among very principled communities, even though it was like Shakespeare and the Bible that would basically were our, our core books for society, right? Um, Shakespeare studying all of the humanities and human nature and everything. Um, but they'll criticize it now because of potential, you know, maybe innuendo or some things like that, that can be in some of those plays, which can easily be edited out, obviously, for anyone. But but also some things have been turned and twisted in such a way that they don't have to be that way, which is very unfortunate, but you know, they turn on him because of that. And I think how sad, how sad is that? Because without Shakespeare, I don't think we really as a society would understand the psychology of all the characters around us. I think he was a psychologist, a philosopher, a sociologist. I mean, he was so many of those great thinkers all into one when he put it on that stage. And you cannot get exposed to Shakespeare or any great play. I'm going to even go out there and say any really great playwright does this. You can't get exposed to a really great play and not look at yourself differently. So the playwright has the, has the opportunity if they take it, to open that lens to your own soul because you start evaluating, have I thought that? What would I do? This is what I think they should do next. And suddenly when you get invested in it because it's playing out in this real time on a stage like that and it's not all the little shortcuts in a movie, now you find yourself thinking like the character and wondering um, if those thoughts you're having are morally grounded or not. Like you really look closer at yourself. It's totally true, though, because I just had a conversation with someone that was like, you know, telling him I, we offer the Shakespeare project and it's, you know, in the community, they're like, oh, what plays are you going to study? I'm like, oh, this year we're going to study Hamlet. But last year we did Merchant of Venice and like, oh, I'm glad we're not here studying Merchant of Venice. That's a horrible play. And I was like, why? She's like, well, it's all about race and it's de degrading. And, you know, they like all these things. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to disagree with you for a bit. I think it's actually probably one of Shakespeare's best plays because he ennobles the character of Portia to have the ability to make choices in her life and um and also is just a beautiful picture of mercy and justice and what kind how should we really treat people who all bleed the same and like, yeah. and she's a woman in <laughs> Shakespeare's time yeah being yeah. the hero and I was like, no, it was awesome. It was a great year. The kids got so much truth out of it and it was powerful and it was amazing. And she's like, oh, I've just always thought it was about like how horrible treating Jews. And I was like, yeah, no, no. See, like, I think people <laughs> simplify things too much, you know, and there, there's so much depth in there. That's one of my favorites. I love that as a study play. We even actually did it one year. We, we actually did that as our play. Wow. I've, yeah. I've heard a few commonwealths actually pull it off. Um, I think it's just you have to have pretty mature actors, I think, to pull it off and make it be really believable. We actually yeah. did have a really mature group that year. They had been in a lot of plays before and they were I mean, we had a few young ones, but mostly older ones. And they did a great job. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comments section. 
And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. That's awesome. So um, in your experiences you've been going through, I just, I'm curious because you've been in, in education for a very long time. How have you seen things shift in like in homeschooling specifically in the positive way? And then maybe also some things you're like, this needs to change. Does that make sense? Like as you've been, cause yeah. you, when you started homeschooling, like you're probably were pretty like a, a rebel. Let's just, I mean, like it was kind of really French, at least, you know, it's like, it was, even though I kept meeting people who were like talking about it or saying they were doing it. I really realized after I met those, you know, couple of people, I'm like, those were like the two key people in my whole community where I live. And I happened to meet them all. Like, like, wow, the, all the other people did not live anywhere where I would have ever found them. I'm like, clearly it was meant to be, you know? Anyway, but yeah, it was definitely a little bit more fringe. And my dad, who was a public school teacher, said, what about the social you know he was a little worried about that then he ended up writing a book talking about the homeschool option the homeschool option do it do it do it you know because like we totally sold him on that which was awesome anyway but um yeah okay so positives first um wow there's so many more people to do it okay that that's a positive it's, it's more mainstream accepted i mean it was going that way anyway just really a lot. And then we hit COVID, holy cow. And then all of a sudden it just blew up even more. There's some people who even in certain cultures, like say for instance, in the Latino culture, um, who notor notoriously did not go into homeschooling. Now I'm seeing those families step into homeschooling and saying, Hey, you know what we want in too, right? People of all different ethnicities and backgrounds, different socioeconomic, you know, it, and, and that's really neat to just see it spread far and wide. Um, I will say that there's some pretty cool resources out there. I think because of online, you know, that gives you some opportunities that you didn't have before, but then there's the warning in there too. Okay. So I would say uh, any day of the week, I could share with you new experiences that I've heard about the homeschool parents who just decided that everything was going to happen online, like the whole deal. Right. And then suddenly they're like, how come my child's so addicted to computer? How come our family relationships are so detached? How come they're getting into porn and all this other stuff? And how come, and it's like, well, hello, you know, you can't just dive in um, like that. You, you gotta, you gotta make sure that there's boundaries there and that everybody is pre-taught what's expected and how it's going to happen. And, you know, we could have a class on that, but we won't, but anyway, so there's a good and a bad. Um, I feel like there's, there's a lot of people politically speaking who are protecting it a lot more than they used to in many, many States across the nation. It's spreading around the world. So I have had the opportunity in Africa, in Kenya to do teaching about homeschooling to um to like Ivy League professors who are pushing it even though it's illegal in the country and now it's not illegal but it, it's it's shifted just since I was there and I was teaching them about it and they were wanting to try it and they were motivated to do it so it's kind of cool to be like, I sort of motivated Kenya to start homeschooling. Like, that's awesome, right? Anyway, there's a lot of other cool things that are happening because there's homeschool parents who are now liberating the world with a lot of their projects and things that they're doing because they're getting into communities where, you know, maybe it's really tribal rural situations or like I know um, in uh, Nigeria, for instance, so many girls can't go to school, right? And so they, because the family can't afford it because they all have to pay for them to go to school. And so suddenly there's people going in and saying, how about we teach you mom how to teach your daughters so that they can get an education? And it's like, whoa. So these humanitarian homeschoolers, this is awesome. Changing the world, changing the planet. So many homeschoolers are getting into politics because they understand true freedom. So that's awesome. So they're protecting more freedoms all the time. 
And so that's fantastic. I mean, just recently, just this week, I actually had a meeting with a group of people. They're doing a facility in the Midwest for kids who have been trafficked to rehabilitate children from all over the world that have been trafficked. So they would come and stay there. And they're like, okay, so Nicolene, we want to use your teaching self-government stuff as the foundation for how we're going to communicate with the children. And I said, well, what about the whole child? What about their education? They're like, we don't really know what to do yet because we don't want to put that pressure on them like real edu- like, you know, like a school would do. And I said, well, you really just need a homeschool and it needs to be unique. I started talking to them all about it and they're like, okay, so now can you teach us how to homeschool in this type of a setting? And so now we, now it's like all of these children getting rehabilitated. So I love those things that are happening. I think people are having a lot more confidence with it and, and there's truths out there. I will say the sad things, if we're going to go on some of the sad things, um, I am sad when I go to homeschool conferences that there isn't more uh, conversation about principles of education as there used to be. So I do feel like that when I was homeschooling back in the day, starting it, you know, and starting with Oliver DeMille, it was like principles of education, right? And if you bring in, you know, um, Lugene Livingston and, and, Glenn Kimber and all these different people that were talking about education. It was always principles of education, like the face stuff and, you know, and Charlotte Mason, it's all principles of education. And while Charlotte Mason is still there, I think a lot of people are getting a little bit too um, checklist oriented and there's the, the young parents. So Tatiana, I'm just going to apologize because I know you're a young parent, but the young parents, um, do not seem to have the same grit that the old parents had. Okay. I'm just going to use that word and I'm not saying all and across the board, because it's certainly not all right, but because they've been raised in a super convenient society where everything is like at the fingertips, the younger generation is like, I I don't want to deal with all that. That's going to take a lot of time. Isn't there an easier way? And so they're always looking at the easier way, the faster way. But when you really understand how somebody learns, it's not about ease. It's about process. Process is process, no matter how long it takes. And it's individual for each person. And so, and that takes some, some grit, some faith, some patience. And that's something that I do think, um, if I were to give maybe a piece of advice, um, would be, you know, we need to make sure that we're still growing that in our homeschool communities, in our conferences, in our things. Let's, let's, let's help people see you have grit. It's in there. And, And let's give them that type of inspiration instead of just trying to make everything easier to appease them. That's what I would say. Anyway, that, you know, the technology thing is a big deal and homeschooling now is not, is not a a safe all where it's like, well, you know, oh, I'm going to homeschool them. So uh, they're never going to do porn, get addicted or do drugs. No, that's not necessarily true. So you still got to do the parenting job really well. You know, I'm reading a book called mama bear apologetics and it's basically, you know, apologetics for mothers so that they can be equipped to like help their children (laughs) and that's basically what she's saying she's like even in the homeschool communities you're still seeing these kids who you know they don't they're not equipped they don't understand apologetics and then they leave and they completely leave their faith and they're not ready prepared and they're not doing those so I think it's true it's like you can't just why you're talking the thought that it came to my mind is like you can't see your child and your education and your homeschooling as a product that you're producing because it's like um, it goes back to like what Mortimer Adler said is like education is is not the means to an end education is the end right so you're trying to develop the human and that's the process it's not to be able to get a job or to be able to perform a task or skill it's to become really to become what that person needs to be and in order to do that, they have to understand what it means to be human. And that's not just something that's like, well, let's give you a utility and then label it and send you out the door. <laughs> like, Yeah. Works. I, what I always told myself I was making, as I said, I'm not making perfect children because that would be the checkoff list thing. Right. And so I said, I'm making joyful adults who know what their mission in life is and can't wait to fight for it and have solid relationships with God and family. Now they could hit that when they're 50 or when they're 20 or whatever, but that's, that's the type of an adult that I'm setting the foundation for. It's an, it's an adult 
it's, it's not a, my child's smarter than your child thing. <laughs> it's so true, <laughs> but it's hard. I, as a young millennial, because I think social media plays a huge aspect into our psyche, it is really hard to be like, be, okay, do I have the courage? Really? I think it comes down to courage to have the courage to not fit in. <laughs> Ooh, can I tell you something about courage? There's a wonderful poem by Edgar Guest called Courage. And it goes, courage isn't a brilliant dash, a daring deed in a moment's flash. It isn't an instantaneous thing born of despair with a sudden spring. It isn't a creature of flickered hope or the final tug at a slipping rope, but it's something deep in the soul of man that is working always to serve some plan. Courage isn't the last resort in the work of life or the game of sport. It isn't a thing that a man can call at some future time when he's apt to fall. If he hasn't it now, he'll have it not. When the strain is great and the pace is hot, for who would strive for a distant goal must always have courage within his soul. And it goes on, but but that gives you the gist that when you are courageous, it's not that it's one act where I think a lot of parents think I'm going to, oh, I'm going to give them this curriculum and then, oh, it's going to be awesome. They're going to be the best ever. They're going to be in this Shakespeare class and then they'll be the president of the United States next. You know, it's like, no. So courage is this thing that's like toil. It's like, and I take a step and I take a step and I take a step and I take a step. That's courage. And because I keep overcoming that, that boredom, that desire not to work, that all those can't because I keep doing that again and again and again then finally when it's time to do that really great thing whatever that is you know dive in and save the baby from the flowing river or whatever I'm ready the guy who jumps in after the baby or who goes in after the people caught in the riptide they decided a long time ago if anyone's ever in water, I can swim. I know what to do, or I will risk for a child. I will risk. They told themselves that many, 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 many times before they would ever do it. And the same thing happens with the courage for the mother who's homeschooling. It's not going to be perfect for who knows when, maybe ever, but you just keep going, 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 going. And then you hit a point where everybody's like, Nicolina, will you speak at our homeschool conference? And you're like, okay. And you don't know why. And you're like, all right, I guess I did something. But all I did was wake up every day and just go through my thing. I stayed true to it. That was the courage. Yeah. One of the things, or the last thing we say in every, you know, in our um, outro for our, for the podcast is Tati says, you know, you can do hard things. And I think that's one of the things that leadership education focuses on is that grit, that ability to, you know, we are asking people to do hard things and we can, and we just have to put ourselves out there and, and not choose necessarily the easiest way to, to go. But I, I totally agree with you on, you were, you were talking about it, the uh, conferences and stuff about how people just will, it's like, what's the easiest thing, you know? And it's like, oh, you don't always want that easiest thing. Well, we need, we actually need more people who are giving the message that hard is good. Hard yeah. is good because we, we do have this convenient, easy path of least resistance society that we have, you know, created for ourselves, which seems so fluffy and nice, but at the end of the day, we become disabled. And we're afraid to become the person that we're supposed to be. And really, I don't know if you're like me, Heidi, but once I started homeschooling and doing this hard thing, this courageous thing every day called wake up on time ish and stick to a schedule ish and all this stuff that I was doing, I suddenly felt like a full me that I didn't even know existed. It was like I met my full potential. I didn't even know I hadn't met my full potential, but when I was teaching my children everything, not just manners and eat your food and get your chores done, but like everything. And we were discussing all the things and I was learning with them. Suddenly life was so rich and so full, but that doesn't come with the quickest, easiest way. Doesn't come. Uh, Tati got me hooked on a um, book called um, Courage to be Disliked, and it's about Adlerian psychology. And 
one of the points that they talk about in there is how you really, <clears throat> the way you find fulfillment is in service to others. And it's that, that whole idea of uh, being useful, being, you know, serving others and finding that fulfillment. And then I, I remember my oldest son, I, you know, he said, well, you know, what do you want me to do? What, it, what is finding my mission? And it's like, you know, um, you know, I told him, you know, you need to serve others. You know, I want you to have, I don't necessarily want you to have an easy life. I want you to have a fulfilling life by serving others. And it's something that a lot of people don't understand today. It's like, well, I just want to do it the easy way. You know what? Your son, I love your son, your oldest son, just by the way, big heart goes out. Yeah. Go Josh. Anyway, I love him. <laughs> anyway, but he said to me one time, he's like, Nicolene, what has helped you become so successful? Because you're so successful. He's like, is it just ambition? He's like, I got to know. So, so if I can, I can be successful in what I'm supposed to do. He's like, is it just ambition? And I looked at him and I, and I'm glad to hear what you'd already told him. Cause I echoed, I, I said, I said, no, Josh, I said, it's duty. It's duty. I said, because I know that I'm here for a reason. Every person is. And we have to leave the world a better place. And I'm driven to do that. And if that's my goal, then the other things work out how they need to. Or they don't because it wasn't needed. But but that's what I moved. And he was like, hmm. And he really was chewing on that. Really chewing on that. And and I think that, that those types of truths like you're talking about are... Um, they're just not really being told. Everything is a gimmick and a strategy and a whatever. And our children need a parent to show it. And when you homeschool your children, that's what you show. You show them, hey, this is what it means to live with purpose. I get nothing out of this. I mean, I do, but I don't. According to the world, right? According, You get everything actually. But according to the world, you're just a slave away in your own house. Yeah. And I then you so add, hard. yeah. And then you add all of the work that like our mentors are doing in their communities, in their commonwealths. And, you know, they're not getting paid. They're, they're doing it for the love of community, for that, the benefits of community and to be an example for their kids. And it is a lot of work. I remember, I mean, I was a credentialed teacher working for a homeschool charter. And I was once uh, um, kind of told that, well, you might have to choose between your job and, you know, working, you know, doing everything you're doing for your commonwealth, for your, your homeschool community. And it was like, well, I have this, this job I'm paid for. And then this, this position, this, this job that I actually have to put tons of money into. And I would have quit the job that I was paid for in order to continue everything that I was doing because it was so fulfilling. And it, mm -hmm. I knew I was making a difference. I'm, I was making a difference in my job as well, but I, I had, I could do something. I felt like I could really move things and, and had influence in it. Yeah. So. Because actually in the end, that's what every human craves. Yeah. That's why, that's why the Pharaohs built pyramids. Okay. And all those big, you know, statues and everything is, is people want to know that they made a difference, whether it's a big pointy thing on the landscape or whether it's, I helped somebody who really needed it. I taught somebody some, something I made the world this much better because I was here. I think that that desire for purpose really unites the human race actually and the sad thing is is all the messages for purpose that are out there well I shouldn't say all because obviously there's Lemmy and there's other people and there's me and so there's people right but um but the majority let's say the majority are really just intended to exploit right? Hand me this money and then you'll feel purpose, right? Buy this thing, then you'll feel purpose. And purpose isn't fleeting. Purpose is long lasting because it changes who you are. And that's, and that's why you were willing to give that up. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun because my, my mom, 
which you know my mom. And love her. <laughs> love her yes. cherry with a big heart. Yay. Yes. Well, she was part of our homeschool community, part of our um, our Commonwealth for for a long time. And it was wonderful having that because she was, it was like, that was her legacy. She was sharing, I mean, her genius really is kids, being able to communicate with kids of all ages. I mean, including, she was considering all of the parents at you know, the Commonwealth as her kids as well, because she would just, you know, any of them would have all of the moms, if they had a problem, it's like, oh, go to Nana Cherry, she'll be able to help you out on with that. But um, all of the moms would then be talking, it's like, well, you know, in their class, it's like, okay, well, you know how like Nana Cherry is doing this, this, she is here to share her genius, and to share her passion and her mission, you know, this is what you can do. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that is that ex that example of of legacy and living your mission at every point in your life. It was just so powerful in our community, and um, I I just loved that because it. I, I'm just so grateful that my mom was able to do that for everyone to be able to see that and she still is doing that she's still she's a she's a light that lady is a light she nurtures everybody we need more cherries in the world oh yeah no she I take her to homeschool conferences and everybody it's like everybody knows her <laughs> she's, she's she's great wonderful. great way to bring people in to talk about Lenny right <laughs> oh yes yeah no she will just sell it and she's she doesn't even know she's doing it because she just loves it so much she just loves people loves and that is a that is something that I know personally I'm like I want to love as deeply as she loves when I grow up I keep working on it I think we all you know keep working on that but um, she just did a little thing one time when I stayed at her house. Remember when I stayed at her house? Here, here's a little tidbit from Nicolene's life. And this is a funny thing. This is, I promise you, never been said anywhere ever. And and you're probably going to laugh and maybe cut it out but of this. But here we go. So when I stayed at Cherry's house, I show up and then I'm like, oh, no, I don't have any deodorant. And Cherry, I'm like, oh, Cherry, I'm going to have to go to the store or something. I don't have deodorant. She's like, oh, no problem. And she goes off. And she gets a, a brand new deodorant and she hands it to me and, um, and she's like, you can just have this. And it was the simplest little thing, but she was so sweet. And do you know what? I have two deodorants, the two type of deodorant I wear at home and the type of deodorant that I call my power deodorant. And it is the cherry power deodorant that whenever I go speaking, I put on cherry deodorant, her kind. She has changed my life. I always buy the same kind, pomegranate. Thanks, cherry. Oh, yep. how funny. How funny. I know. It's like I said, the most awkward thing to say, right? But like, we're being real here. Nothing's scripted. But that, but the thing is, is her, the way that she lovingly did that was just like, I'm like, not only the perfect hostess and just being a kind woman, a kind person, but she did it in such a way that every time I think of that deodorant and I look at it, I think of how much she loves me. Oh, it was like the good. first time I met her. It's beautiful. Well, she's going to love hearing that. <laughs> well, I love her. I think that's the, the power of mentoring versus like instructing or teaching, you know, like there was a huge emphasis on mentoring and leadership education. And I think it's because mentoring, if done right, comes from that place in the heart where it's like um, this shared relationship of mutual understanding. And um, I was talking to my husband, he just started his first year teaching has been horrible. I mean, I'm pretty sure Jefferson County, where we live, made the national news because it was so bad. But um, anyways, and so it's been a rough week for him. And he came home today. He's like, I have, I have a lot of, feel a lot of purpose. But he's like, you know, the worst thing I hate about this is like, I really just don't get very much time with the kids because we're running around. And he's like, if I, and there's no one-on-one -on -one time. I get no one-on-one -on -one time. It's just so chaotic. He's like, if I could just have like, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes every day with one of those kids, I think I could make more difference. And he's like, but like all these kids are just bust around from class, 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 class. And, you know, and all the busyness that there's just no time for me to connect with them. And that's my biggest regret. And I think, I think it's because he's, he comes from a place where he wants to mentor, not instruct. Right. And mm -hmm. so 
think that, you know, if you can take that idea of mentoring and, and put it into all facets of your life, not just like, you know, actual former relationship, but, but any facet. And like one thing that my family members who have I've married in the family, different things always say, like, how do you have so much love for all children or all people? And I'm like, I think it's because I have a mentor heart. I think because I've spent so many years trying to develop a mentor heart that I'm achieving it. <laughs> I'm not perfect. There's ne ne never, I'm never going to say that, but you know, I do have a capacity to immensely love the, those that are difficult to love. And I think it's because you go through the, the grit and the hard work to gain that ability, but it comes from that mindset of just what is, what does it mean to be a mentor and that, that, what does that heart look like? And I think Cherry obviously has that, <laughs> but yeah. I think it's attainable if we work really hard. I think, you know, you've hit on something and that's that a lot of teachers, just like your husband, like a lot of teachers really desire that. I know my dad, when he learned about leadership education and when he saw what we were doing with Lemmy classes and just our home environment with the homeschooling, he started wanting to duplicate it in his classroom because he taught in the public school as well as in the university level. Um, but he, he, he felt he felt some success by bringing in some of those principles into his classroom and, and having some of the different types of dialogues and discussions and trying to bring in a different culture into the classroom. But I think still he felt like, but there's like this understood that you disconnect from your teacher instead of connect to your teacher. And this is where understanding what it means to be a mentor and, and seeing the real power in that parent child role really you know, it, it plays out in a, a really meaningful way because, because that parent has max ability to connect with the child if they really take it on. And a mentor who is like a second witness for the parent should be able to also then, you know, start helping and, and, and along those same lines with the children, help nurture them in the right direction, especially if the parent allows them to fulfill that mentor role and doesn't tell them to disconnect from the mentor yeah well we're winding down and i want to be sure and um have you tell everybody about teaching self-government where can we uh, find more information tell you know I, well first of all i want to tell everybody they need to go to your website and watch uh what is it world's strictest parent Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's in the blog tab. So if you, if you go to teaching selfgovernment.com and then you hit the blog tab, there's like video blog and then different articles and stuff. And in the video blog, it's like the top movie because it's the one that everybody's always looking for. And it, it happened in 2009. I looked very different then. I was a lot younger. My family was still very young. Now I'm an empty nester just happened this year, which is so weird. Now I'm just the grandma. And, and, and now my, my daughter Paige is like with her little toddler going, we're doing our family devotional and all of our stuff. And it's so cute. And I'm like, this is so fun anyway. Um, but yeah, that's where you can see that. So that's a lot of fun. There's a lot of other places you can see things. So I do have a YouTube channel, teaching self-government YouTube channel. There's like 900 and something videos there that you can watch about all kinds of different topics. But the main learning of the stuff is at teachingselfgovernment.com. There's audiobooks, there's physical books, there's courses and trainings. Um, the three-day trainings, people always want to know what's the very best way to get trained. The three-day parenting mastery trainings are by far like that is like the boot camp, the quick three days, husband and wife get it all, which is really great. Um, and then I have a podcast too, which is a lot of fun. People love the teaching self-government podcast. I do it with my daughter Paige, um, which is a lot of fun as well. And there's just so many articles and, and things like that, that you can find out there, but, um, this is my mission. And, you know, when I started homeschooling my children, I really went into the full mission of being a parent. And what I realized was, so I listened to this class by Oliver DeMille years ago, it was called the depth phase class. And he listed eight missions. So it was feed the hungry, clothe the naked, heal the sick, teach the ignorant, comfort the lonely, liberate the captive, create beauty and preach the gospel. Those were the eight missions that a person could live in their life. And, um, and I knew mine was liberate the captives, but what I realized was this thing I do with parenting and stuff is liberate the captives. 
but actually being a parent is all eight. I dove into the being a parent thing deep. And I was like, I'm doing this with my full heart. And the homeschool is just a parenting. That's all it is. And so I dove in and it was all eight missions. And then after that, the liberate the captives with the parenting work that I do and the legislative work and the work at the UN and with these other countries, with the World Congress of Families, those types of things that I do, those were just things that get added onto it. So what I tell people is you want to live a mission, live the mission. That's the mission of all missions, which is eight missions, which is be the parent. Then when you're fully in on that, you'll get some other mission, teach this class. Okay. Then do this thing. And those little Lemmy classes were foundational. I shouldn't say little, they're, they're awesome. And there are tons of depth in them. Those Lemmy classes, that Lemmy framework and education that I got from Lemmy was transformational for me in helping me become the person that I am. And so when Lemmy started coming to homeschool conferences, I was like, hallelujah, more people need Lemmy and it can't go away. You guys, you ladies are giving, um, gold, you know, principles, educational gold to people. And, um, um, it just needs to keep going and going. So I'm just going to keep being your cheerleader on the sidelines and saying, go, 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 because people need what you're, what you're doing to help. Well, they definitely need what you're doing. I, I know when I first started homeschooling, it was, and I, I tell all new homeschoolers, the first thing you have to do is get that structure of, um, of discipline that 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 self-government down and I send so many people your way because it is so important and so anyway I am just so grateful that you're here I am so grateful that you you were part of Lemmy I was like oh my gosh we were in so many different circles and and it's blessed my life in so many ways so thank you Nicolene me too. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And honestly, anytime, I mean, talking to ladies like you who like get it, I'm, I'm all in and anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.